Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday. Erev Shabbos. Erev Sukkis. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Hashem, Hashem, Berachnuchem, Mi Beit Hashem, Baruch Habab, Shem Hashem, Berachnuchem, Mi Beit Hashem, Baruch Habab, Shem Hashem,
J.M. in the A.M. Yoni Z. Ani Ma'amin. You heard uh, Shlemi Daska. Ohevet HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ari Boyanjo and Sandy Shmueli with their versions of Ana Hashem. Simchali Artsacha from the Chevra. Eli Deutsch with Pischuli. Zehayom. Shmuel Levi. Pella Singers with Vesamachtal. David done by Yaakov Shweki. Hoshana with Gershon Veroba. And of course, Regesh. Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to, where's my, oh, there we go. <laughs> I couldn't, for a moment there, I couldn't find my uh, basic information page. Welcome to a Friday on this Erev Shabbos, Erev Sukkot, on October the 2nd, day 14. In the month of Tishrei, the year 5781, Tafshin Aleph. Again, it's Erev Sukkot, everybody, and a very interesting Sukkot. I have heard conversations over the last 24 hours about Hoshanas and whether they will be walking around in shuls or places that are having minyanim. I have heard, um, what was the other one I heard about? Dafka about the sukkahs. Oh, yeah. There are some people who are um, going to postpone or or cancel the reading of Kohelis. Very, very long Megillah. Um, and again, would increase the amount of time in, in synagogues. There's conversations about that. And I guess the primary conversation this morning on this era of Sukkot 5781 is that the President of the United States and the First Lady of the United States uh, both have tested positive for coronavirus. The New York Times headline, at least online, Trump and First Lady test positive for coronavirus. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo tested negative. Uh, the results, or the test results, according to the New York Times, and I'm not saying that this isn't the somewhat accurate, but I think it's important to, to hear how the newspaper of record puts this. According to the New York Times, the test results for President and Mrs. Trump threw the nation's leadership and his re-election campaign into uncertainty. The president's physician said Trump was well and would stay isolated in the White House for now. And Hope Hicks, one of Mr. Trump's most senior advisors, tested positive. She traveled with him this week on Air Force One. Um, The world shudders at the announcement, according to this publication. The news of an American president contracting a potentially lethal virus carried global repercussions beyond that of any other world leader. That I hear. Um, other world leaders have contracted the virus long before President Trump. They have an analysis of that, how that affected them. And aside from the campaign obviously being completely upended, as you would certainly uh, assume, um, there are so many other factors And um, one of them, of course, is going to be the uh, reaction of the stock market, which should be fascinating later today. Already they say stock futures are in a challenging situation. And who knows? This president has overcome all odds in the past. Who knows what this might what this might lead to in terms of um, dealing with this October surprise. And boy, is this an October surprise. I was a little, 
I was a little surprised that that some of the publications did not use the headline October surprise with this whole thing. Anyway, uh, we wish uh, the President of the United States and the First Lady well. Uh, I know that uh, we've seen high-profile people get this thing, and some of them really suffered, as we know, um, the way it was described by the media. Uh, Prime Minister of England would be one example. So we're hoping they get through this with uh, as mild a situation as possible and that, um, and that both the United States and the world are able to to stay calm in light of this uh, really, I mean, it's shocking. I, I mean, I guess it's not shocking because so many people have, have COVID now, but just, you know, really earth-shattering news. 59 degrees, some rain, then some sun. Looks like good weather in this area for the first night of Sukkot and a high of 67. Although maybe people now will be more hesitant to be in Sukkot with other families and other groups of people. Who knows? Clear skies tonight, low 54. Tomorrow, sunshine, a high of 70. We're at 78 in Yerushalayim, 59 here in New York City. Special hello to our friends, our brothers and sisters in Israel. As they're really close to the holiday of Sukkot now. They're just a couple hours away, or a few hours away, I should say. And we will start with candle lighting time about 11 and a half hours from now at 6.15 p.m. Uh, don't forget that Mark Zamek will be presenting a very special Erev Shabbos, Erev Yom Tov show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That starts at 9 a.m. Uh, Erev Shabbos music mix all day long uh, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And at about 5.15, the final hour of the week, Mark Zamek has an amazing one prepared, again, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Uh, so get set for that. That should be very interesting uh, going into Yontif. Our next appearance here Monday morning. Um, our apologies to our friends in Israel who would love to hear us on Saturday night and Sunday. That will not happen. We're going to follow the um, the rules of the diaspora, and we will present next uh, after today on a Monday morning right here at JM in the AM. Micha Gammerman is next at JM in the AM. <laughs>
הקדוש, עלינו קראתה. בשמך הגדול, הגדול והקדוש, עלינו קראתה. יקים, יקים לנו, את סוכת דוד הנופלת. הרחמנו יקים, יקים לנו, את סוכת דוד הנופלת. הרחמן הוא יקים לנו, את סוכת דוד הנופלת. הרחמן הוא יקים לנו, את סוכת דוד הנופלת. J.M. in the A.M., Micha Gammerman and his uh, 
Sukkis medley to wrap up the hour. Coming up, our news from Israel in just a moment. Again, the President of the United States and the First Lady of the United States have tested positive for coronavirus. I'm sure that'll be discussed in our weekly update coming up, aside from the debate, which now seems like a million years ago. And the lockdown in Israel, etc. Weekly update coming up 40 minutes from now with Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We'll explore the um, holiday of Sukkot with uh, Harry Rothenberg. We'll do that after our news from Israel. So we'll have that for you coming up. And don't forget, we will not be presenting on Saturday night and Sunday. We will follow the rules of the diaspora. And the uh, next presentation here at the Nahum Siegel Network will be Monday mornings, JM in the AM. It's Erev Sukkis with candle lighting at 615 in New York, 59 degrees, some rain and then some sun with a high of 67. Looks like we've got good weather for the Sukkah tonight. Clear tonight and low 54 and tomorrow sunshine and a high of 70 degrees. Right now we've got um, 78 in Yerushalayim, 59 here in New York City. Golly, it's on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Delicious A&H hot dogs are available in every Trader Joe's nationwide. Keep that in mind as you listen in from so many different states of the United States. Every Trader Joe's has them. Galetzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from Jam in the AM. גליצה על השעה שתיים, כאן גוני כהן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. המטה לביטחון לאומי התריע בפני שרי הממשלה בדוח פנימי כי קיים מחסור חמור בכפפות ובמסכות N95 המשמשות בעיקר צוותים רפואיים. על פי הדוח המלאי יאזל כבר בחודש נובמבר. גורם בכיר המעורה בפרטים מסר לכתבנו מוריה אסר וולברג ומאיר מרציאנו כי בוצעו מספר הזמנות גדולות בתקווה שהן תגענה ארצה ותסופקנה. בשבועות הקרובים. מעצרו של פיני לוזון החשוד בדריסת מפגינים אמש בתל אביב, הוארך עד ליום ראשון. לוזון טען כי הותקף על ידי המוחים, ולכן נאלץ לנסוע בפראות, אולם השופטת בדיון קבעה כי גם אם ביקש להימלט מהמקום, סיכן חיי אדם. כתבנו בתל אביב בן נצר מוסיף כי במשטרה טענו כי רכבו של לוזון הותר עם שמשה שבורה, והסיבה לכך נבדקת. מנהיג הציבור הליטאי הרב חיים קניבסקי בן ה-92 אובחן כחיובי לנגיף הקורונה. מבית הרב נמסר כי הוא חש בטוב וממשיך בלימודיו כרגיל לצד השגחה רפואית. כתבנו שחר גליק מציין כי הרב נבדק לאחר שאתמול נהגו האישי וכמה מנכדיו זוהו כנשאים. כמו כן, אמש קרא קניבסקי לציבור החרדי להיבדק במהלך חול המועד בבחינת פיקוח נפש. גננת מרמת גן נעצרה אתמול בחשד לאלימות כלפי פעוט בגן בעיר. זאת בעקבות תלונה שהתקבלה עליה במשטרה. בתום חקירתה שוחררה החשודה בתנאים מגבילים. החקירה נמשכת. חודש לפני הבחירות בארצות הברית, הנשיא טראמפ ורעייתו מלניה נדבקו בקורונה. בציוץ בטוויטר כתב טראמפ, הלילה אני ורעייתי אובחנו כחיוביים לנגיף, נתחיל מיד בבידוד ונעבור את זה יחד. 
כתבתנו מיכל גלנץ מציינת כי בני הזוג נכנסו לבידוד ונבדקו לאחר שהיועצת הקרובה לנשיא הופ היקס אובחנה אף היא כחולה. לפי דיווח ב-CNN, קבוצה מצומצמת של בכירים ידעה על כך שהעוזרת של טראמפ חולה כבר מאתמול בבוקר, ולמרות זאת, טראמפ הגיע לאירוע בניו ג'רזי ודוברת הבית הלבן, ששהתה גם היא עם היקס, קיימה מסיבת עיתונאים. הסכם רגיעה הודנה נחתם אתמול בין משפחות אשמאלי ואבו מועמר מרמלה לאחר מספר חילופי ירי ביניהן בימים האחרונים. ההסכם שגבה לפני כחודש את חייה של המורה שריפה אבו מועמר יהיה בתוקף לשלושה ימים, במהלכם ייפגשו נציגי המשפחות בניסיון ליישב את הסכסוך. המסגדים ברמלה הכריזו הלילה על ההסכם שנחתם, ידיעה שמסר כתבנו דורון קדוש. ומזג האוויר היום ומחר ירידה קלה נוספת בטמפרטורות, אלה החדשות. חג שמח, מגלי צה"ל. עכשיו בגלי צה"ל, אהוד בנאי. That's what Israeli radio sounds like in Arif Sukkis. <laughs> I like that spot, actually. Friday morning broadcast, JM and AM. Harry Rothenberg on Fridays um, uh, has uh, insight into the weekly Parsha for us. Uh, today we turn to him uh, for words regarding the upcoming holiday of Sukkot. Harry Rothenberg, Sukkot 5781 at JM in the AM. Did you ever wonder why Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are over a week apart, even though they're obviously linked as the high holidays? Whereas Yom Kippur and Sukkot are only four days apart, even though they don't seem to be linked. The sages have a number of interesting explanations for this phenomenon. After Yom Kippur, The last thing we want to do after all that repentance is fall back into our sinful ways. So God gives us those four incredibly busy days in between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. Those days are just enough time, if you rush, to build your Sukkot, to decorate it, to choose and buy your Lulav and Esrog, and to cook the meals for the holiday. Further, after all that repentance, we want to go out and do mitzvahs. We want to serve our God. And so God gives us a holiday that's chock full of mitzvahs, shaking the lulav and esrog, eating in the sukkah, sleeping in the sukkah, inviting guests over to the sukkah. It's nonstop mitzvahs during the week of sukkahs. But there's more. God has told us over Yom Kippur to afflict ourselves, to deny ourselves those most basic human pleasures like eating and drinking. Now in sukkahs he says, go out, eat, drink, be happy. But he's reminding us that true happiness does not come from a fine roast, or a fine wine. It comes from enjoying those things in his presence, in his protective embrace, in his sukkah. And there's still more. There's one thing we know for certain on Yom Kippur. The Jewish people were inscribed in the Book of Life because God has guaranteed us, as a nation, we will never be vanquished. So each of us takes a lulav, and we go out, and we march like a conquering or victorious or confident army. knowing that our nation will survive another year. So we lift our lulavim, our spears in the air, to celebrate that. But 
But individually, it's a completely different story. I always get uncomfortable when someone says to me after Yom Kippur, hey, how was Yom Kippur? I say, well, it was great for the Jewish people. As for me, I don't know. I guess we'll find out over the course of the coming year. On Yom Kippur, intellectually, we've realized our destiny is completely in the hands of God. Not only did he create the world of which he's the king, but he continues to run it. And he alone will decide if we and our family will be healthy and wealthy and wise or otherwise. But now in Sukkot, immediately after Yom Kippur, we get a chance to feel that. We get to show God, you're the king. We meant that when we crowned you. You told us to go outside, we're going outside. And when we get out there, we feel that. We are in his hands and his hands alone. And there's no holiday during which you can better have that feeling. When I go out into the Sukkot at night, after my boys finish jostling over who gets to sleep where and who gets to sleep next to whom, and they finally get ready to go to sleep. And later I come back in and they're sleeping and I look at them and I'm so thankful. And then I look up in the sky through the roof of the sukkah and I really feel like I'm in the Tzela de Mehem Nusa, in the shelter of faith of our God above. Oh, you shall know. Le man, go, well, I came here. Le man, go, boy, you're the king. 
Friday morning, JM in the AM, Erev Sukkis, with Moda Ani, done by Maishi Tischler, New York Boys Choir, Hadachenu, you heard Hoshana, done by Yoni Z. Erev Sukkis, candle lighting at 6.15 here in New York, make sure you know when things start where you are, 59 degrees, some rain and sun later on, and a high of 67, looks like good weather for the uh, first night of Sukkis in this area, hope it's the same where you are. Weekly update, Malcolm Holmline coming up. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents, a major American Jewish organization, so he'll join us coming up here at JM in the AM. <coughs> Just looking at some of the news stories from uh, different um, newspapers and online sources. 
Wall Street Journal says President Trump said he and the First Lady would begin their quarantine and recovery process immediately, injecting a fresh uncertainty into an already tumultuous final stretch of the 2020 campaign. White House physician Sean Conley said in a memo that the President and First Lady were both, quote, well at this time, end quote, and planned to remain at the White House while they recovered. United States stock futures have dropped on the Trump positive test. Futures tied to the S&P fell over 1%, suggesting that U.S. markets could drop after the New York opening bell. On top of that, brand new United States coronavirus cases are now above 40,000. And um, talk about an October surprise pretty amazing that this timing worked out the way it did and the president now has to be quarantined during the final stretch of a campaign for a couple of weeks just the whole thing is unbelievable this year and i refer now to the secular calendar year not to the brand new year 5781 but this year of 2020 has been just unbelievable And I mean that in the literal sense, not believable, just unbelievable. See what happens. Uh, Next time we present live will be um, uh, the morning of Monday Cholomoid. We're next here Monday Cholomoid. No shows or anything coming up over the weekend. It'll be Yuntif both Shabbos and Sunday for those in the diaspora, for those of us, I should say, in the diaspora. So we won't be presenting any live programming, but we will speak with you Monday morning, what will be the first day of Chol outside of Israel and the second day of Chol inside Israel. Although I don't know if it'll feel much like Cholomoid compared to <laughs> how we're used to Cholomoid being. We shall see. Study Torah one-on-one with a mentor or partner chosen specifically for you. Call 1-800-STUDY-42, 1-800-STUDY, the number four, and then the number two, or log on to partnersintorah.org. It'll be a life-changing experience for you. It's uh, partnersintorah.org, partnersintorah.org, and yes, it will in fact be a life-changing experience whether you are a student or you are a mentor. That's something I could uh, practically guarantee that it'll be life-changing. More coming up on this very interesting Friday, Erev Yom Tov at JM in the AM.
Miami first with Yalaviavo and then with Zman Simchosenu as we get set for this uh, very interesting and no doubt very joyous holiday of Sukkot. Uh, Ritzay before that came from the, uh, actually came from a, an album called The Benching Tape from years ago, but it was uh, A.V. Rottenberg and Shlomo Simcha together. I think Dove Levine was also on there, if I'm not mistaken, either on that one or on the on the um, the cover of it uh, afterwards. I'm Maishi Tischler at Modaani, JM in the AM. A reminder as we get to our weekly update that if you want to uh, print out before Yuntif thousands of articles to uh, check out on Israel and the Jewish world, uh, you can do so at jewishworldreview.com. Again, go to jewishworldreview.com. You'll be glad you did because you have a lot of material to uh, cover during a very important time in modern history. That's an understatement. Uh, so check it out, jewishworldreview.com. Our next weekly update, by the way, for those of you keeping a schedule, two weeks from today, there will not be one on Hoshana Rabbah a week from now, but Bezrat Hashem on the 16th of October when we really get into a regular schedule because, uh, well, to whatever degree Corona lets us get into a regular schedule, but that'll be the first Friday after the big holiday season. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings at 7.40 a.m. Eastern time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, a good hour of Yontem, a good hour of Shabbos, and welcome back to JM in the AM. And it's good to be with you, and we look forward to a joyous Chag, one that everyone will be healthy, that everybody's going to wear masks and take care, inside, outside, no matter where, and that um, we'll emerge from this with a Yantav that was truly full of Simcha. As you know, the, that's the hardest mitzvah to fulfill, we're told by many uh, Rabbanim about the uh, so this year, despite everything, we have yeah. to be misameach and celebrate. <laughs> and if it's usually a challenge, then this year, boy, is it a challenge, or at least it could be. Well, talk about October's surprise. Uh, one month before the election, we learned that both the President of the United States and the First Lady of the United States have attested positive for a coronavirus. And uh, obviously, so many things so between the uh, the stock market, which is anticipated to have its problems uh, later on today, uh, reaction from the world, uh, what it does for the campaign and the election, what it might do, frankly, in terms of the schedule for certain things we've expected, uh, vote on the uh, next Supreme Court nominee, etc. I mean, obviously, this happened hours ago and the news became available hours ago, but I'm sure you agree that uh, there are so many things now that are completely up in the air. Right, but I think there there could be an overreaction uh, to it. First of all, the stock market, I think it's only the futures are down less than 500 points, a uh, market of over, what, almost 27,000. So it's not a, a, a dramatic uh, collapse of the market, as some had uh, said, and we don't know yet what will happen during the day with traders. It depends a lot on on the president and first lady's condition, um, you know, because of his age and he's overweight, et cetera. He has a lot of uh, things, but... And there's no reason to expect that that he will necessarily, you know, have a, such a terrible adverse reaction. And the the um, you know the concern obviously is going to be there for for his health. Hopefully, it'll be a message to everyone about the need to take care that this strikes everybody, 
And, uh, you know, the warnings about some of our communities that have been issued have to be taken seriously because otherwise there will be more dramatic steps taken and everyone will be upset and saying, why is it happening? So we've had advance warning, but it's not, uh, as the media has been so disrespectful and focusing, it's it's really uh, horrendous. Some of the videos that we've seen of, of, of camera people standing, waiting, and only focusing on the, those without the mask and not reporting the tremendous increase that I saw in uh, in our communities in, in people wearing them, and nor reporting on the other communities where uh, where there has been limited use or, or not as uh, complete as it should be. None of that is an excuse. Everybody has to do it. The president, obviously, uh, his campaigning will, will take a hit for this, but we saw that Joe Biden did well when he was in the basement, so it helped his campaign. So maybe the president, you know, being in the White House, uh, it'll help. But people shouldn't rush to conclusions and, and make dire predictions about what this means. Right now, it doesn't mean anything other than that they're sick and they, they'll, right. they'll get the best treatment in the world. I, I get that, but, but, but a couple of things came to mind when, when I first heard the news. The first was that I get the... the um, how you're putting it, that people will now realize anyone can get it. But I think there's also a flip side to that, that a lot of people are going to say, oh, my God, like like a fear is going to set in that if the president of the United States can get it with his security, with his medical staff, with his, you know, with the care and concern that's given around him 24 hours a day. Oh, my God. You know, and I think it might increase the fear in the country of people uh, contracting the disease. Do you agree with that? No, not necessarily, because if you, I mean, the reaction is, is possible. But when you look at it realistically, you know, he's out, he's in crowds, they had the debates, they had the, the plane where you know, he has all these aides on there, uh, and, and it was initiated by somebody else. It wasn't that he got it, but he got it from one of the people close to him. Right. Uh, right. So, you know, he interacts all the time with people. Most of us have been much more limited and don't interact with uh, For those of us who are safe people. right those of us who are careful and safe right that's right. true uh and the other thing that came to mind was we we have seen world leaders who have you know suffered pretty bad cases and again we wish him only the best but if he has a a boris johnson type episode remember he went to the icu right. it seemed it seemed from you know from thousands of miles away to us that there was somewhat of a panic in British society, I mean, if, if if that type of thing happens over the next week to ten days, then uh, you know who knows what that could do to the whole campaign process. Well, it could get a sympathy vote. It could be. Uh, it could be that uh, that uh, basically you're right. It's unpredictable because it's not something people have experienced or we have had that to, to, to deal with. But there are laws in place. What happens uh, if? Uh, somebody has to be replaced even at the last minute. Right. It's a confusing process. I think if it had been, you know, months ago, then it would have been easier when it goes to the party. Uh, this obviously would be much more difficult. And there are electors in the end who, who, who make the decision. It's a very complicated situation. Um, but you're right. It adds to the uncertainty. And that's that's the problem that we have today is that people feel things are not predictable, that, that there is a runaway train, that there's you know, security situations, safety situations. And this only adds to the anxiety, which is not something we need. And you saw the prime minister here in Washington a couple of weeks ago. You were there with him, and 
you know, some people were a little, you know, were rolling their eyes that the Israelis insisted on certain precautions that, you know, what would it look like, especially with Israel going through what it's going through, what it looked like the prime minister, you know, came back with Corona, a trip that they wondered if he should take to begin with. Now you see that those precautions were <laughs> were really, you know, on, on solid ground. Yeah, he did put out a, pre- a statement uh, wishing the president a revush and in equivalent terms, but he. But you're absolutely right. And in the end, the Israeli delegation, by and large, did not wear masks. Wow, I didn't um, realize that. Wow. And and there wasn't a separate pod. They were in one area, but I think there were there were great precautions taken about the the delegation. Generally, that was not the case, and there wasn't distant seating. There wasn't. Uh, there were. Um, I, I can't give a percentage, but not a majority right. wearing masks. Are, are you okay, thank God? I am, thank God. I mean, you, you, may, you may have sat there a little worried, I would guess, no? A little we, bit. Yes, but I sat with people who were masked right. and who took precautions, and we did not go into any of the you know, gatherings or anything uh, because it's, it's just too risky. It, right. it, there's, no, there's no predicting this thing. And we've that, seen it a, in shuls, we've seen right. it come about, and now with some chastorah coming, I mean, you see the rabbanim and the warnings that they're issuing, I hope people take it seriously. I mean, there are rabbis who don't want walking around for Hoshanas, there are rabbis who don't want uh, walking around for Akafas, there are rabbis who are suggesting possibly, and I don't, I, I, I want to say this carefully, because obviously people should check with their own rabbi, about not saying kahelis and shul, because it's a long time for people to be together, you know, extra time, so to speak. And we see how deadly this is. That's the lesson from this whole thing. You know, there have been pandemics, and there have been a lot of flus, and there have been a lot of things that, you know, people have gone through in our lifetimes. This thing is so deadly. It's, and, and again, I know I use the word deadly, but obviously the majority of people don't die from it. But you get my point. In terms of contracting it, it just looks so easy to get at this point. And if you look at the, for people over 60, over 65, and right. certainly over 70, and as they get up, but, but now it is striking younger and younger people. And thank God they don't have as adverse a reaction, but they do. They're getting it, and there are people who have died from it who are young, even children. So nobody is immune from it. And and it's you know there's a, a phenomenon that people, um, many people even, don't don't take the warnings as seriously because they don't believe it. They don't right. believe the numbers because they've seen con- contradictory figures or whatever, and they yeah. don't believe it. Believe it. Yeah. Have you know, 150,000 dead or whatever, it's real. Look what's happening in Eretzorah, look how many people have died and, and are really sick, and the Rabbanim who are sick now, just in the last two days, three days, here and there, you know, take it seriously. Rabbi Kanievsky was just diagnosed as a positive case of coronavirus, and and, and hopefully the, the one good thing, if there is such a thing, uh, with this situation is that, I, you know, more and more, I think we're feeling it, as you pointed out, we're feeling it in our community, even the young people, I think, are actually wearing masks now, even really young uh, people. But in Israel, this will have, hopefully, uh, you know, w- will be a jarring effect on people as they see Torah giants who are suffering from it. They will understand the importance of wearing masks and taking precautions. Plus, on top of that, I'm sure you saw the statistic, I think it was a Jerusalem Post thing, that 40% of all cases in Israel are from the, so to speak, Haredi community. Again, not a criticism because of the way of life, you know, that a lot of people, a lot of kids, a lot of people in, in very congested areas, but that's a startling statistic, so that has to be considered as well. It does, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see over Yonta that the numbers oh, start going down. I hope so. Because yesterday, 9,000 cases. Yeah, that's a lot.
Uh, and you see that the region, Jordan's now with an increase in cases. I mean, y- you know, everybody locked down and everybody, <laughs> including us, everybody locked down and we were essentially in our homes, Yantav, et cetera, Pesach, Shavuos, et cetera. And, you know, we thought that would have a, you know, that would be a really good precaution, you know, the worldwide lockdown. But now it looks like we're just, it- it's all restarting. This whole thing is just starting again. And it's a shame that we got to restart the lockdowns again. Who knows where the end is in sight for this thing? Um, what do you think of the debate? I know that, I mean, if you want to call it a debate, I know that there are people, there are people who now are rethinking the entire format of the, of the traditional presidential United States debate. Uh, what were your impressions about the two candidates on Tuesday night? Well, I, I don't know anybody who thought it was a great event and, and something that you could be proud to have your children watch. Um, it was, um, you know, people blame Chris Wallace, people blame the two candidates, people blame the format, people blame everything. But it, it didn't serve, I, I think, anybody well. It certainly didn't serve the process at a time when I think people need that more confidence in the leadership and in the uh, process that we processes we engage in. So it was, um, and, and I think that there were a lot of substantive issues that could have been more fully discussed, the president's record on a lot of issues which he did not uh, discuss, uh, black unemployment, Hispanic employment, uh, security issues, uh, and many where the, I think the vice president didn't strike any of the blows that he could have. Um, you know, every pundit has a different assessment of it. Right. And one thing that everybody, I think, is consistent is that it, it, it was uh, disturbing uh, in many t- at many points. I think debates are very worthwhile. I think this year it's important to have them. Uh, I hope that they they will come up with some means of of having a much more meaningful and and in-depth debate. So you don't think it's worthwhile, serious question, not joking, you don't think it's worthwhile to cancel the remaining debates? I do not think so. I think that... I mean, personally, first of all, I'm a political junkie, so I love right. you, I you, love you, this. You need those but, couple of nights, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's the best entertainment, certainly. But the um, no, I do think we, we need it. I think we see, need to see the two candidates who can operate and how they operate under pressure, what their vision is, what the, you know, um, the vice president separated himself from AOC's green plan, plan and some of the other things. So we see that there, there are... Um, you know, there's a lot you learn, even if it's between the lines. Yeah, I hear that. But there's no discussion. There's no issues that come up. And by the way, even as they stump and even as they answer questions sometimes from the press, there never seems to be substantive answers, discussions, statistics, uh, theories, uh, discussion of relationships with other countries. It just it, it, these things just seem not to come up. And in the old days, excuse my, you know, my my uh, uh, you know sounding like an old guy, but in the old days, that was the focus of those press conferences and debates was real discussion, statistics, bringing up theories and and and, and approaches, uh, especially when when speaking of you know governing in relationship to other countries. And it just, we have none of that now. Like, it's not like we have some of it and the other stuff's dominating. It seems to me we have none of it at this point. Yeah, and we're spending a lot of time on it, too, and not uh, this guy, which is, is the issue that it diverts attention. 
and the coverage. You know, so many things happened this week that are are really incredibly important uh, on all the issues that we discuss every you, week. You know, before you get because you may you may tend to, to to get into a list of them, which I appreciate. But I, I do want to start with the UN, though. Could you do that for us? Could you tell us if anything substantive, both regarding Israel and otherwise, came from this year's UN session? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, the answer is no, because nobody was there. Everything was done virtually. Uh, so even Netanyahu's my, speech was not like it was effective. It, it had very limited effect. The coverage yeah. of all these things is very limited. The uh, Netanyahu did make a headline w- with his uh, giving the address and citing a place in Beirut right. where they are uh, assembling weapons and obviously Hezbollah, but Iranian-backed. Uh, and giving a warning and and talking about the explosion in, at the Beirut port, it essentially put the onus on the on the uh, people in Lebanon, saying to them, "Listen, guys, it's not that you don't know. Now you know, we know, and if something happens there, you know you're to blame because you didn't hold your leadership to account. You haven't taken the steps uh, necessary, and." The, 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 um, you know, we know that they've been trying to develop these precision-guided missiles, uh, the, these kits that they get from Iran to enable them. They have 150,000 missiles, but most of them just shoot one randomly and don't end up where, where it's intended. The, at the same time, we've seen a lot of unrest in Lebanon and even people talking about the possibility under circumstances that they too would join uh, process but there's there's uh, there was another development where the Lebanese and Israel agreed to have the US mediate maritime border talks which is a very important issue because of the oil discoveries energy discoveries in in the uh, eastern mediterranean did that happen where, only because of the aftermath of Israel UAE etc this might have happened anyway no this was was happening could it have been a bit of a cover for them? Maybe, but this has been in the works for, for a long time. But the fact that they turned to the United States to do it, and, you know, there are very sensitive issues involved. It also involves the border with Cyprus, uh, which will come up. And, as you know, we still have unresolved issues between Israel and Lebanon at Mount Dove in the vicinity of the Sheba Farms. But there, in, in the actual uh, Mediterranean, uh, it has... It limits their ability to develop, and it, there's every reason to believe that there that there, the geological studies show that this is potentially a very rich area. And Total wants to drill for in, in on the Lebanese side. So, and there are precedents for how you share and how you can work it out. But the very fact that that we have talks is good news, and and it could benefit the Lebanese economy very much, and of course benefits Israel if they are right. able to drill in the broader area. And remember, you have a lot of Turkish pressure uh, on Beirut. They did not want him to engage in this, and they are, you know, in a conflict with Cyprus, and they've been uh, very aggressive, Erdogan, about the, in the eastern Mediterranean. It came to almost a showdown, but French warships, Israeli, Greece, Italy, others steamed in, and they backed off, and now they withdrew this uh, their ship that was uh, looking for uh, exploration. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and AchimSingle.com, and the AchimSingle Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. So does any of this lead to Lebanon getting closer to be on that list of countries Israel would consider 
having normalized relations with, or none of this is 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 leading them in that direction. Well, Israel and, and Lebanon long had a good relationship. Remember the good sense? You remember when Jamal became president, they were interacting, and um, I mean, we hosted them as uh, in an event here in New York, and Israelis were there, others were there. Um, but if there's an every reason to believe that Lebanon and Israel should be good partners and trading partners, other things. But as long as Hezbollah right. is the dominant force, it's not going to be, it's, it, it isn't going to be as likely. And we know that Hezbollah is still very active. It's less popular. Uh, you know, there were more explosions in um, in uh, different areas in Lebanon, too, since since the big one. Um, but the, the, the uh, arrest of a cell in Saudi Arabia tied to the IRGC and to uh, Hezbollah, which acts as a front for for them. So uh, Lebanon, Lebanon is not shaking the moniker of proxy for Iran anytime soon. It, it's the people of Lebanon would, but the, the problem is that the government is it, first of all the government's in collapse. The prime minister was unable to form a government. Right. Uh, the the uh, there's no one in control right now. Aoun, the president, uh, is not. He, he's a Christian who was pro-Israel and then turned anti-Israel. Now he's sort of somewhere in the middle, but Hezbollah is less and less uh, popular, of course, blamed for the explosion and many other things, but also for the cost that they brought on the people and all the missiles that are in people's homes that are targets today is because of, of their pressure. You know, I, that's what I'm saying. I said earlier, Nahum, that, that we saw realignments this week that are really quite remarkable, not just, you know, the cell that they uncovered in Saudi Arabia with uh, all sorts of weapons, including uh, explosive bricks that are, are typical of what Iran has done in Yemen and with the Houthis and with others. But if you see some of the, the and the declarations that came out, the Iranians much more blatant this week because they feel, felt they could or they had to to divert attention from the positive developments. But they said any country that opposes the Zionist regime, we will get involved. But they denied that they have forces anywhere in Syria, Iraq, Yemen, Lebanon. They denied it all. They just said it's not true. But they made admissions that they are, another one of the former head of the IRGC says that, that they are providing stuff to, Leb, to Venezuela, but everything is advisors. In Syria, advisors. In Iraq, we only have advisors. We gave gas to, to Venezuela and received gold bars carried back to Iran by plane, which they denied at the time. And I spoke about it here on the show. And they were, you know, the Iranians saying, oh, no, we didn't take gold. They took the gold from, from a country that's in economic collapse. They sent another shipment of, of oil there this week. So we see that under the cover of all that is happening, we're seeing much more aggressive stuff going on. You see uh, Erdogan's terrible statements about the, the dirty hands on Jerusalem, saying that Jerusalem is our city, meaning they're making reference to the Ottoman Empire's role in in, uh, in Jerusalem. But a, a, an interesting side in Ahum is, the, is that the Syrian foreign minister attacked Syria, uh, uh, Turkey so viciously called it one of the main sponsors of terror and in the country and in the region, guilty of war crimes. Uh, they cut water to more than a dozen towns that where they have uh, where they occupy which they occupy in uh, uh, Syria. And he, he says that they are the financiers of terrorism, the sponsors of terrorism. I won't go through the whole speech. People should look at it. But it, it is a remarkable statement by uh, a top uh, Syrian 
uh, talking about them moving um, uh, terrorists and mercenaries from Syria to Lebanon, to Libya, which we have discussed, mm-hmm. and, and that it's an outlaw regime. And then the Turks came back and used sim- similar language against the, uh, against the government of, of Syria, which they were both a- allied once. So you see the three-way competition, Iran, Turkey, and Russia, which I've talked about many times, but people don't take it seriously, don't understand. There's three, these three guys are cooperating. At the same time, they fight each other in Libya. They're on opposite sides in the Karabakh, which is a very explosive situation with our ally Azerbaijan. The Armenian ambassador was recalled from Israel because Israel sent weapons to, to Azerbaijan. The situation in Yemen, the situation in Lebanon, the situation in Iraq, all of these places, it's so explosive. That's why you need strong leadership. And to back to your earliest point, why, you know, any, any sense that uh, there's not people in control and people watching situations, which anyway is the feeling that the Europeans have abandoned everything and that the only hope is, is and, and that puts more emphasis then on their hope about Israel. That's why a lot of the Arab countries and more of them considering it, um, you know, because they see that, that the rest of the West is absent. What could the what what could a future alliance look like? You talk about uh, Iran, Turkey, and Russia. I mean, are they going to get to the point where there's even more cooperation between the three of them, or they're so um, hell bent on staying independent and and each of them leading the region, you know, themselves? That we likely will not get into a scenario like that. They each have hegemonic goals in the region. Russia's achieved a lot of it by getting a warm water ports, the ports in Syria, airports and naval ports. They're active in Libya. They want to control the flow of energy. They will work with the, the other two whenever it's convenient, especially against the United States. The same is true of Turkey and Iran. They hate each other. They, they are, are in competition in many circumstances. But when it, they, they have the Astana process, which brings them together, and the only purpose is to keep the United States out of out of uh, Syria. But I, I'm showing you that if you take each one, the three of them are in various combinations of being of fighting each other. In Libya, Turkey and Russia are on opposite sides. In in Yemen and in, in all these places, they all play different roles and shifting roles. But the thing that unites them is that these guys are aggressive, that they're moving ahead. Iran, we know much more about their uh, nuclear process and the information that the IA has so far given out, and we know that a lot of it isn't uh, public. But they, they are moving ahead. They, they weren't supposed to have these advanced centrifuges, and they can enrich much faster than than before. And we don't. Need, and there are still things that we don't know, even places that we may not know. Look at the PA is talking about working with Hamas when we know that they're rivals and they hate each other, and and yet they they're coming together, even talking about elections, which I would be skeptical about. But it is possible that they they could eventually have it. Uh, it's it's only the 14th year of uh, their four-year term, so you know it's, the election is almost 10 years overdue. But we're seeing so many shifting sands right now, and that's why it requires the full attention, because any one of these things could explode into a, a, a regional conflict in in the Karabakh. You have Turkey on one side, Russia on the other. You have Iran who will seek to to exploit the situation. You have Qatar and others playing a role. Israel. Each of these situations is potentially 
very significant and having a broader impact than just the border conflict. By the way, there's a report now that uh, the vice president, Mike Pence, has tested negative for coronavirus. And the reason I point that out is simply because if you're looking for somebody who might have no choice but to replace the president on a campaign trail, obviously, I guess it would be him. I mean, frankly, if the situation was reversed, I think, you know, Harris would be a more effective replacement than for Biden than Pence would be for Trump at this point. But, you know, they're not going to have much of a choice, frankly. So I guess uh, he'll take on more of that role, plus the vice presidential uh, debate that's going to be coming up. In light of all the political um, uh, um uh, the political situation that you just described in that region. Has BB ever been under more pressure, uh, let's say, you know, in recent years? Because the demonstrations seem to be, you know, pretty potent, somewhat out of control in terms of demanding that he resign. Uh, plus, of course, the, you know, the, another election could be looming. I don't, even, I, mean, I don't even know what the potential is for that right now. A couple of weeks ago, you did say to us that, uh, you know, if these deadlines do pass, we may be facing another election has he ever been and 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 with the legal situation as well has he ever been in a more precarious position or even with all this opposition to his leadership he is going to survive fine if uh you know assuming people continue to elect him prime minister survive and survive fine is a big gap um you know you can't beat somebody with nobody and right now there there is nobody who really mounts uh, a credible challenge to him. Uh, some combination could, uh, whether Bennett will support him or is will not support him, or if there's some other combination that could come up. But I think what your your, your fundamental question is right. BB has both the internal and the external challenges. While in the region, Israel is doing better with the new peace agreements and with the changing attitudes atmosphere. Um, uh, but at the same time. The, the demonstrations, the unrest, the COVID questioning, you know, the handling of the COVID thing, thinking about, you know, going till the end of the year, let alone longer, with uh, the crackdown with people, which has as much as a psychological and huge economic impact on Israel, which was doing so well uh, before this hit. Uh, you know, he has this dangerous cocktail of challenges mm. that, that are facing him. And also sometimes it's just too long. That you got to know yeah. when that fatigue. We talked about it, um, but you know he is still the strongest leader that uh, seems to be on the scene right now. Maybe that's not what they need, but he certainly. Uh, and and then when you look, there's nobody who has. If there was an election today, Lee could would still be the number one party. So elections don't seem to make a change. It just creates more chaos and more divisions. And uh, I think the outcome would be unpredictable at this point. Uh, even more chaos. It's unbelievable what's been going on the last few months. Uh, yeah, I meant to ask you this, and uh, before we wrap up today, I want to make sure to ask you. I know, I know the story goes back a couple of weeks, but and I believe it was a Jerusalem Post. It may even have been an opinion piece. You saw that Saab Arakat was uh, was hired by Harvard. Um as a what was his? I'm trying to see what his yes, the counselor to the students or something. Yeah, I'm trying to see his advisor. But anyway, anyway, he was hired by Harvard. And in this article, it says that that literally the PLO's chief, chief negotiator, as he's known, um, uh, it becomes the oh here it is senior leader in diplomacy, <laughs> senior leader in diplomacy. Um, and this happened after. They got a, they meaning Harvard got a two million dollar donation from the PA. Is that really it? I mean, does 
Does the PA feel it's so important to have someone like this on an important campus in the United States that literally they buy their way in and Harvard falls for it? It happens all over the country where you have foreign power countries and others pouring money into it. Saudi Arabia did for a long time. Hopefully now it will be a much more moderate influence. But um, this has been a major problem across the country. It's very much more visible when it's, say, Barakat and Harvard. Yeah, but Harvard. But Leila Khalid speaking at San Francisco State, which, as you saw, right. because of the pressure of the lawfare and other groups to, to um, end Jewish hatred now, um, they they were able to get Zoom and then Facebook not to drop it, to deny the platform, to give this uh, person, and, and they asked uh, San Francisco, can you, t- can you attest that she is not associated with any um, or a terrorist organization? So, and they couldn't. They couldn't verify, but they would give a platform to somebody like that. Yet when Sharansky and others came, they remember they wouldn't. They didn't let them speak in San Francisco State, was eventually sued, did sign an agreement. By the way, we did have at NYU uh, a lawsuit that was brought this week, and they reached an agreement with the Dep- U.S. Department of Education, and the Office of Civil Rights there, that um, um, they cited numerous instances of anti-Semitic activity on the campus. So the agreement, uh, which is the first since the presidential, when, when did the president issue the executive order? I think in November, last November. Uh, and he added anti-Semitism to the force of discrimination covered by Title VI. So they kind of either lose all their federal funding, but they opted to revise their non-discrimination, anti-harassment things, to include anti-Semitism as factors that can't be discriminated against. And at the same time, at Columbia, you had a vote of 60 60 to 27, something like that, to to recommend universities divest from companies promoting, um, profiting from, or promoting, I think, uh, Israel's policy towards Palestinian people. And this is, you know, they disregard all the ethnic cleansing of Jews. They disregard the whole history that was behind this. The president of the university came out very strongly this time. Bollinger, who in the past did not, uh, came out strongly against it. And, um, you know, said that this is a vote. First of all, it was done remotely, and we don't know what it truly reflects in terms of the actual numbers where the body stands. But nobody should dismiss it. It is a troubling Malcolm, Malcolm, we have a lot of Colombian Barnard graduates in this audience. Say something to them, please. Let the university know what you think. Uh, You should uh, acknowledge what President Bollinger did, but demand that the university take steps to change the climate at Columbia. There's nobody in Columbia who will deny that there's a strong anti-Israel and anti-Semitic climate and, and tendencies there that does not get addressed with the seriousness that it should. Uh, maybe some of these events will, will help be a breakthrough, but we see that the the thing they pay most attention to are the lawsuits and the legal action. But at the same time, the students at Columbia have been organizing. They have groups in students in support of Israel and others that have been effective. And they we have to mobilize and activate. The problem is that most of the students who, who support Israel are inactive or, or indifferent for many others. We have to change it. This is a, a very uh, concerning situation. BDS is going to strike even harder and uh, in the coming months, and they, they take advantage of the situation in our country, this sense of uh, the, you know, the, the extremism, the divisiveness, the partisanship that we see, the loss of the political center, the, the tendencies towards um, uh, greater acts of anti-Semitism. Um, these are 
are things that all the bad guys take advantage of, and it's the left, and it's the right, and it's the minorities, and it's the Muslims. It's all coming from all of these sources, and we have, thank God, many groups working on it, and uh, we're trying to bring them all together so that we are more effective, but people doing stuff online that has been effective, and identifying and, and uh, highlighting some of the anti-Semitic uh, activities, but it's, it's so vast the network of anti-Semitic sites and and um, actions and groups that are working, and as soon as they wipe out one, they go after another. But we are we are becoming more technologically capable through the efforts of some remarkable people to um, to identify and to be able to fight this. Malcolm, join me in uh, advising everybody in our community worldwide to be very careful about gatherings during the upcoming holiday of Sukkot. A time, by the way, this may be the week of the year. Uh, where we really uh, take advantage of the ability to gather with everybody traditionally, but this year it's going to be very different. It will be different. We have to enjoy the Yontav. Uh, we have to think about it in the longer term, not just you know what happens in the one day or two days, also because it's now coming to flu season and everybody should get the shots. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and this, the anti-vaxxers and stuff should, should lay back this year, I think, for sure, that uh, if... Um, that, that people take the precaution. Uh, it's a double whammy, and we know that it, what's happening in other countries, that it comes back. People are getting it a second time for all those who thought they had immunity. There's no guarantee. There's no assurance. We see it in Israel. We see it here. And uh, there's no age uh, this, the limit that uh, prevents people from getting it. So just take the precautions. Nobody's saying people can't enjoy the Antiv and they can't have a proper celebration of the Antiv, but we have to think of it in the broader context as well. And, well, and all the Rabbanim are issuing these warnings today. No question about it, and and some very uh, serious um, uh, decisions as well when it comes to uh, uh, different things happening over here. People should pay careful attention to them. Um, we will reconvene, please God, two weeks from today. Uh, Shabbat Shalom and Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach to everyone, and a good Shabbos, and only Simchas. Friday morning, JM and the AM. It's Erev Sukkis, everybody. It's Erev Sukkis. Rabbi Yudin has plenty to say about the holiday. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Today, of course, Rabbi Yudin concentrates on the upcoming holiday of Sukkot. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Good Erev Yom Tov, everybody. Okay, today is a very special day as we are preparing to embrace the Yom Tov of Sukkos this evening, Zman Simchasenu, the time of our rejoicing. Truth of the matter is, all of us know that as we go in and we'll try to make this Yom Tov as happy and as pleasant for us, we do recognize that we're in very challenging times, challenging times that I always said on this day, stop and think whom you can invite to your sukkah. Think of those people who don't have a sukkah and invite them to your sukkah. This year, it's certainly much more challenging in that people are cautiously, for the most part, not going to other persons' home or sukkah, so be cautious, and if you can, invite someone 
who doesn't have a sukkah, your sukkah is large, and you can be socially distanced, and they can stay at least to uh, wash and have hamotzi and a little something in the sukkah, kola kavod. Okay, let's understand that the mitzvah of sukkah begins with the construction of the sukkah. Interestingly, the Nitziv coins the making of a sukkah, a preparation that not simply sitting in the sukkah tonight, but even the making of a sukkah is a mitzvah. And indeed, when we make the Shechayonu tonight, the Shechayonu is not only on the Yom Tov, but it's on the mitzvah of sukkah, and if you are privileged, on the making of the sukkah itself. The laws of the sukkah are very uh, detailed. I cannot review them specifically with you. I am going to tell you that if you have any questions, there's still time, call your local Orthodox Rav. Tell him to please come to your home to your backyard, and to check out the kashras of the sukkah. The sukkah, as we know, has to be tachas hashemayim, under the sky. It can't be under an overhang. It can't be under a tree. It is the schach of the sukkah that has to provide the shade. And therefore, if you have any doubt or question, once again, ask the your, your rav for, you know, compliance, you know, with this mitzvah. Okay, so the mitzvah of sukkah, as the Torah tells us, is really found in two different places in Parshas Emor, which is the Torah reading that we're going to be reading of the uh, Moadim, both tomorrow, Shabbos, and Sunday. So, the Torah in Emor Perech Chav Gimel, chapter 23, Pasuk 42, the Torah says, Basukos Teshvu Shivas Yomim. You are to reside in the Sukkah for seven days. And our rabbis understand the word Teshvu to mean Teshvu Ke'en Teduru, that you are to treat the Sukkah as you would your home. You eat in your home, you eat in the sukkah. You sleep in the home, you should sleep in the sukkah. Now, we have to put an asterisk next to that and say, well, there are certain individuals who are exempt from sleeping in the sukkah, be it because of the cold, which might be a factor, be it because a married man. There are different issues in terms of sleeping in the sukkah. But certainly, during the day, if it is, please God, nice weather, when it comes to taking a nap on Yom Tov, on Shabbos, you should do that in the sukkah. The Pasa continues, interestingly, Kol Rezroch Yisrael Yeshvu Basukos. Literally, all Israel are to sit in a sukkah. 
The Gemara in Sukkah of Zayin teaches that whereas Rabbi Eliezer is of the opinion that just as the Arba Minim have to be yours, as we'll talk about in a few moments, Ulkachtem Lochem, so too the Sukkah has to be yours. The Chachamim, who we paskin like, differ. And they say no. Kolu Ezrach Israel. ideally the Sukkah could be one Sukkah for all Israel. Now, obviously, we're not talking about a Sukkah which can literally hold, but conceptually. And once again, that's the krecht that we offer, that we cannot invite, unfortunately, others, and certainly not with the same weight that we have done in the past, especially getting together with family and friends, which certainly contributed to the simcha of Sukkos. So, during the week, and as I began to say, eating, sleeping, and spending your time, if you can, learn in the sukkah. If you find that the sukkah is too distracting and you can learn better in the home, that's a different story. But basically, your sukkah is replacing your home. And indeed, in Eretz Yisrael, where there's much less chance of rain during Sukkos, people actually bring into their Sukkah pieces of furniture to give the Sukkah that appearance and reality of being, quote, your home. There is, however, at the very beginning of that paragraph in Parshas Emor with Pasuk Lamid Dalid, where the Torah teaches that on the 15th day of the 7th month you have the holiday of Sukkos and earlier in the beginning of the Kriyasa Torah the Torah tells us on the 15th day of the 1st month you have the holiday of Pesach and the rabbis learn with Xer Shava a common phraseology found regarding Pesach and Sukkos, namely Chamisha Asar, Chamisha Asar, they teach us the important law that says that just as Matzah on the first night of Pesach is an absolute must, so too tonight, the first night of Sukkos, it is an absolute must to eat in the Sukkah. Now that's a very important point. First of all, in general, we say, interestingly, that there's a law by Sukkos which doesn't apply to other mitzvos. I don't like the matzah. To me, it might taste like cardboard. So the Torah doesn't say, like the matzah. The Torah just says, eat it. Okay. When it comes to the Sukkah, the Torah tells us why we are to reside in Sukkos. Going back to Pasuk 42, and then in Pasuk 43, the Torah gives a reason. I want the future generations to know that Hashem caused us to reside in Sukkos when we traveled and left Egypt till we came to Eretz Yisrael during those 40 years. Now listen very carefully. There is a halacha by Sukkah 
And that is mitzta'er, if somebody is uncomfortable. What does that mean? Very cold, very hot, if there's a bad odor. There's something about uh, many uh, bugs which makes the sitting of the, in the sukkah most uncomfortable. So why is this the one mitzvah that says, oh, you're uncomfortable? Go in the house. Or you can go in the house. What's the reason for that? Because the whole purpose of the sukkah, my friends, and listen very carefully, it is essential that tonight, when we go into the sukkah, we are to know why. Why we are fulfilling this mitzvah. And very, very interesting that the shulchan aruch is literally just that, a code of Jewish law. Do this, don't do that. This is the way you do it. However, when it comes to the laws of Sukkos, in Tafresh Chafhei, chapter 625 in the Shulchan Aruch, the Machaber, Rav Yosef Karlo, following the tour, the forerunner of the Shulchan Aruch, tells us not only to sit in Sukkah, but he quotes the Pasuk from our reading of the Torah tomorrow, and he goes on to explain the Pasuk, Heim Ananei Kavod, Tonight you have to talk in the sukkah about the clouds that protected the Jewish people during their trek. What does that mean, protected the Jewish people? It means that in the desert it's hot by day and the sukkah is provided for us air conditioning by day. In the desert it's cold at night and the sukkah provided us with heat at night. Now think about it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could have had us sweat it out. And by day, we would have taken off our shirt. And at nighttime, we would have put on another sweater or blanket. No, he made it comfortable for us. It was nothing less than a five-star hotel. You got overnight service. You had your clothing pressed for you. Your shoes grew with you. Amazing. So therefore, if the whole purpose is to remember that you had comfort in the sukkah, in the desert, if your sukkah is uncomfortable, then you don't have to sit in the sukkah. All this is true regarding the rest of sukkahs. Not tonight. On the first night of sukkahs, the obligation is coming from not the verse, Basukos Teshvu, but the verse of Hamisha Asar, Hamisha Asar. And just as you must eat in the sukkah, so too, just as you must eat the matzah, you must eat, sit in the sukkah tonight. How far does this go? And do the laws of mitzta'er, of somebody being uncomfortable in the sukkah, apply to tonight? So listen carefully. According to the Rajbah, they do, which means that hopefully the weather is going to be nice tonight. But people listening, and thanks to Nachum, all over, if there should be R-A-I-N tonight, what do you do? So according to the Rajbah, you don't have to sit in the sukkah, because by definition you would not sit in your house if there was R-A-I-N. However, the rush is of the opinion and this is followed by his son, the tour, 
And therefore, the Shulchan Aruch tells us the following. Listen carefully. Or, excuse me, the Ramah follows this opinion. That if there is R-A-I-N tonight, first you wait a little bit. 20 minutes, half hours, then stop. If it's still raining, make Kiddush in the sukkah. Go in the house and wash. Take a piece of challah in a plastic bag. Go sit in the sukkah. Make hamotzi lechem min aretz. Don't make a leshe basuka, because you don't make a leshe basuka in the R-A-I-N. Go in the house, finish the meal. If while you are eating the meal, it stopped raining, go outside and have a piece of challah in the sukkah, period. If you've benched already, and now you're about to go to sleep, it stopped raining, go wash, go in the sukkah, make hamotzi, and make a leshev basuka. All right? That is all for tonight because of the chamisha asar, chamisha asar. Please, God, it's not going to R-A-I-N, and therefore, many, many laws the Shulchan Aruch brings down. And so, ideally, just as on the night of the Pesach Seder, you ate your matzah, leteyovon, this afternoon, be careful, not too much gnashing before Shabbos Yom Tov, so that you'll eat in the sukkah, once again, leteyovon, with a healthy appetite. And again, please God, what are we doing tonight? So the Kiddush in the um, Sukkah this evening is the Kiddush of Shabbos Yom Tov. And after that comes the Bracha of Leshev Basukah. After that comes the Bracha of Shehachiyonu. Please God, tomorrow night, many reverse the order and tomorrow night we have the bracha of Shechianu uh, <clears throat> and then Leshev Basuka. Okay, in addition to the mitzvah of uh, sitting in the sukkah, we have the mitzvah of Ulakachtem Lochem Bayom Rishon, the mitzvah of Arbaminim, of the Esrog, the Lulav, the three Hadassim the two Aravos. And the Torah tells us that we do this as one, a form of our saying, thank you to Hashem. Sukkot is Chag We are celebrating the harvest, and these four uh, different growths are all dependent on rain for their growing. We take this and we channel our happiness of Hashem's bounty to us by davening with these species. So just like, listen carefully, we used the shofar on Rosh Hashanah as an extension of our tefillah. What does that mean? We blew the shofar not only before the Musaf, but we blew it, the Sfardim, in the Musaf Shemona Esrei, Ashkenazim in the repetition, so we extended Malchios with Shofar, Sechronos with Shofar, and Shofros with Shofar. What are we going to do, Mitz Hashem, on Sunday? Because on Shabbos, we don't take the Esrog and Lulav, as we did not blow the Shofar. 
So too on Sunday, different opinions where you should bench esrog. According to the Ari, his custom was and suggestion is to bench esrog in the sukkah. Others follow the opinion that you bench esrog right before Halil because the nanuim, the shaking of the esrog and lulav in the Halil is really the fulfillment of the mitzvah of the esrog and lulav. In other words, it's the idea of our praising Hashem as Ozyuranenu kol atzei hayoar. All of nature is praising Hashem. And we, therefore, when it comes to hodul Hashem kitov, kil yolam chazdo, the chazan leads us in the shaking of the lulav, ono Hashem, and once again with hodul Hashem. So this is a mitzvah that we fulfill starting Sunday. Sunday we make two brachos, the bracha of Natilas Lulav and the bracha of Shechianu and uh, uh, the Arba Minim has to be yours, unlike the Sukkah. And therefore, if you own the Arba Minim, wonderful. If not, you give it to somebody on Yom Tov Matona, I'm giving it to you, it's yours. Amenas Laharzir that they, you know, return it to you after they fulfill it. But for the moment that they have it in their hands, it is theirs. The uh, Arbaminim are taken all um, the week of Cholamoid. We um, have the Hoshanos during, after Musaf, starting, you know, uh, tomorrow. We don't take the Esrogululav each day on Sukos, we go around the Bima once with the Arba Minim, the Hoshanos, and please God, we'll talk about Shabbos Cholamoid and the last days of Shemini Atzeres and Simchas Torah next week. I just want to close with what is the Sukkah? So if you think about it, on Rosh Hashanah, we basically had the shofar as a call for us to basically wake up and prioritize. Therefore, the Rambam teaches in Hilchos Tshuva, Perigimel, Halacha Dalid, the Rambam writes that, what is it? It's Uru Yishenim, wake up, you who are sleeping, and look inside, Chizru B'Tshuva, remember your maker, those people who forget the truth in Hevle Azman, in the wasting of time, and Shogun Kol Shinosam, and they waste their time, and they think that this world is the main thing. No, the Gemara teaches us at the very beginning of Sukkah. What's the purpose of the Sukkah? Tsei Midiras Keva. Get out of the house, literally, and of the mindset. The mindset that says, my house is my castle, it protects me. No, it doesn't. We recognize, shave, sit in a diras aroi, in a temporary dwelling. And the schach, as flimsy as it is, because it clearly has to be one which is subject to the elements. If the, if the schach 
is so thick that the rain cannot come through, Yesuka is not kosher. It has to be subject that the rain can come through, etc. The sukkah teaches us the priorities of life. That yes, like Avram Avinu says, Geir v'toshav anochi imachem. I'm a stranger in this world. I'm passing by. Like the Chafetz Chaim of that famous story when someone came to his home and saw the very meager way which the Chafetz Chaim lived and basically asked him, like, where's your furniture? <laughs> he says, where's your furniture? He says, well, I'm traveling my furniture's home. Says the Chafetz Chaim, me too. I'm only traveling here. My furniture is over there. Now, we are not on the level of the Chafetz Chaim, but we are to appreciate that ultimately the new kitchen and the dishwasher and all the other things and conveniences of life are important, but put things in the right perspective. And one, when one does so, that gives you the greatest simcha, which is why Sukkos is Zman Simcha Senu. I'm going to take this opportunity to wish Nachum and his family and everybody a most joyous Sukkos. And I'm going to end with the krechts as I began. There is that frustration that we don't have our families over. There is that frustration that we don't have neighbors and strangers in our sukkah. So I'm going to make a suggestion. What can we do for the rest of Klai Yisrael? What can we do? And I believe certainly one answer is, but do it with sincerity. And do it by yourself. Take out a Tehillim and say Tehillim for Klai Yisrael. Say Tehillim for the state of being in this world. That unfortunately there's a Gzeira out there against the world and against Klai Yisrael. The Gzeira against us. They say when it rains on Sukkos, it's Lema what may be compared to a master that says, bring me a glass of water, and when the servant brings the glass of water, he takes the water and spills it out in front of him. Hashem tells us to make a sukkah, and we want to invite others, but unfortunately the pandemic is not allowing us to so do. But I want to show my concern for the next one. Take out that Tehillim and say several chapters of Tehillim each and every day on behalf of Achinu B'nai Yisrael, and pray that, please God, we should be able very soon to open our Batekinesios. If they are not opened, if so, so many are still davening outside, in backyard minyanim, reminding ourselves that's not the norm, that's not what we're looking forward to. And not because it's getting chilly do I want to go into shul, but I want to be Bevez Hashem. Hashem, we want to come back to your home. That's what we are davening for. That's what we need. We want to be with one another. My davening is enhanced when other Jews are with me in the Beis HaKnesses. This is what we are yearning for. 
Nachum and his family, and indeed all our listeners, I pray, are going to have a true Zman Simchaseinu. The nature of the Jew is that despite all the challenges, he finds the way to make it a good and happy Yom Tov. And that is my bracha to each and every one of you. Shabbat Shalom and a good Yom Tov to all.
JM in the AM. Erev Chag with the great Chazen Netanel Hershtik here at JM in the AM. And his Umibnei uh, Chato Enu. Words from the uh, upcoming holidays liturgy. JM in the AM, the next time we speak with you will be Monday morning. Monday morning, the first day of Cholamoid in Chutzlaretz, the second day of Cholamoid in Israel. Monday morning, 6 a.m. Eastern time will be the next time we speak to you right here at JM in the AM. Time to say good Shabbos and good Yontif. It's Journeys at JM in the AM.
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio. Round the world, the web, and Nachum Siegel.com, and the Nachum Siegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Amazing news for everybody. The amazing news is that the Erev Shabbos show, specifically for Erev Sukkis 5781, is next with Mark Zamek, all presented by the wonderful people at Kedem. You'll hear that for about three hours. Erev Shabbos music mix all through the day, sponsored by the wonderful people at Kedem. And Mark has prepared an amazing final hour before Yuntiv, which will start at about 5.10 Eastern time this afternoon. Also brought to you by our friends at Kedem. You want to make sure to check it out. It is a good one. Monday morning, we speak next. The first day of Cholomoed in Chutzlaretz. The first day of Cholomoed outside of Israel. Have a fabulous Chag, everybody. A wonderful Shabbos, a beautiful Yom Tov during this unusual 5781 holiday season. And until Monday morning, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.